0: Matters from EY. Hello and welcome to Board Matters. This is a podcast from EY for non-executive directors. I'm Kate Jebeau and on this edition we'll be focusing on board governance plus how to succeed in the role of an audit committee chair. We'll be meeting our studio experts in just a moment and later we'll be joining our reporter, Rick Kelsey.
1: That's right, Kate, I'm here with Matthew Lester who chairs the Audit and Risk Committees at Capita and Man Group and is non-executive board member at Barclays to get his insight and reaction to the conversation.
0: OK, thanks, Rick. Let's get started then. And first, joining me on the line from his office is Bob Forsyth, EY UK Centre for Board Matters co-chair. Bob, welcome. I understand we had a good reaction to our first podcast.
2: Great reaction, Kate, actually. I, I was I was delighted, um, particularly as cyber was the subject, that's uh, on every audit committee's agenda these days. I've just come from an audit committee this morning where it was being discussed. So I was delighted to see that we had a, a thousand listens to our podcast uh, and some them from uh, new members.
0: That's great to hear. So why are we turning the spotlight onto board governance this time?
2: So Kate, um, board governance is particularly relevant to boards and and our clients right now, given the changes to the Corporate Governance Code. In fact, it uh, was at a recent non-executive director retreat where it took up most of two days. And those boards are looking at some fairly fundamental questions about changing the focus from that investor focus to more of a balance between all stakeholders and and what that means for their governance.
0: Bob Forsyth, thanks for joining us. We'll continue the conversation with our studio guests next. So let's delve into the subject of this podcast and get the real inside knowledge from our experts. Mike McKean, a board member from ACCIF, Audit Committee Chair's Independent Forum. Hugo Neninga, Consultant at Executive Recruitment and Management Consultants, Egon Zender, and Eamon McGrath, EY Partner and UK Head of Regulatory and Public Policy. Welcome to all of you. Hello. Hello. Now, Eamon, you're involved with non-executive directors all the time. Do you think there's a move towards a more transparent and accountable board culture?
3: Yes, indeed. I I think that, um, certainly noticed in the last five years, that boards have become more challenging um, in a good way, um, but it, it's certainly less a, of a, an old boys club that it might have been in the past. And this is in part, I think, because of the Corporate Governance Code, probably also just uh, changing expectations both here and overseas have, have driven the change in the UK.
0: And, Hugo, things are moving fast these days. How are boards and auditors reacting to the speed of change?
4: Well, I mean, part of it is obviously externally um, uh, imposed, um, but I think uh, we really see a change in the way that um, companies um, assess for sort of potential for board members, rather than just looking at, for example, past experience only, uh, which which used to be sort of the 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 main way of looking at sort of uh, whether or not a candidate would be right, given that there's so much uncertainty going forward for a lot of companies generally in the world, I guess you see a, a change in the need for a different type of profiles of, of board members as well, such as how do you cope with um, with the, the digital change around us and board members of the past may not be best positioned to, to be efficient board members to advise on that.
0: So it's a change uh, for in the culture. Future. Yeah,
4: exactly, Changing culture, change in profile. So I think that's probably the trend that we see.
0: Mike, you have extensive experience as an executive and a non-executive director with an extremely challenging operating environment in some sectors. How do boards handle the pressure of poor performance?
5: Well, I think they handle it in very many ways, but uh, the first, first issue is to identify the poor performance. And the challenges on boards is to get the information that you need, and that depends largely on the management of the company, how you set it up, what the controls are, what the risks are. Uh, Once you have that information, then you've got to adapt uh, what you look at and how you address those particular questions. Now, partly it may be in terms of investment, both in people and processes. It might be changing some of the people but it might also be looking at the business and considering what the strategy for that business is. So it's a fairly broad uh, question with a very broad answer.
0: You say identifying the poor performance is, is the first stage. How difficult is that in your experience?
5: Well, if you've got good financial reporting and other management systems, it's not that difficult. However, if you don't, and then generally you will find that poor performing businesses probably don't have them. It sort of uh, almost follows that, that poor businesses don't generally have good information. And it's quite tricky if you're quite well removed, as you are as a non executive director, to understand these things. And there's a natural tendency for management to always believe that things will get better. Mm. And part of our job as an executive director is to look at this and say, well, maybe this is the challenge.
3: I mean, I think one other aspect is actually the, the culture of the board. I mean, I think if uh, the chairman, and if the, the key is the chairman, if the chairman and the chief executive have built a relationship in the board that is open, accepts challenge, Um, and based on the solid foundations, that's easy. But if you've got a a board that lacks trust, lacks integrity between each other, then it's going to be Uh, more difficult.
0: Sorry to interrupt. What what kind of situations bring that about, the lack of trust?
3: Stress. Stress. And also the characters of the chief executive, because the chief executive sets the culture of the company, A chairman sets the culture of the board, and there has to be a good dynamic between the two of them, because if there isn't, then you can get um, a fractious board.
4: I couldn't agree more. And I would add that um, uh, it's not only the chair and, and the CEO, but also the chair of the audit committee and the CFO. That's as important a relationship, I think, and having a trusted flow of information amongst the, uh, the, these but, individuals.
5: But let's be clear. I think I think the, the challenges arise when the business has a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You can, to some degree, have disagreements around the board table and personalities which are different, which in itself is a diversity and is a good thing. But when you get into the real issues of business performance, that's when the board really comes to the fore.
0: Yeah, and Eamon, with board evaluation season imminent, what issues prevent a non-executive director having an impact on a business?
3: It depends to some extent on the nature of the individual. I mean, I think if a, if a director has a full-time job, if a non-executive has a full-time job, then there may be an issue of time. Does he or she have the time to make the impact? And, and if actually somebody's in a portfolio, do they actually, have they actually kept themselves up to date? Are, are they making an impact personally, or are they flying over the top of the role?
0: Mm. You mentioned time. How difficult is it to know how much time is needed when you take up that post?
3: Well, I'm sure Hugo will have uh, a good idea, but I've certainly worked on the assumption that uh, an audit committee chair role may be at least 40 days a year.
0: Hugo?
4: Yeah, and I think coming back to a point that Mike made, I think when when things go wrong uh, unexpectedly, that's when obviously you need to, um, to to dial up the rule of thumb is you have the formal
5: meetings and then you have to do what you have to do. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And in a smoothly running business which is performing well, it'll probably be not very much more than that. Uh, in a business that's got problems, it could be every day of every week for yeah. the next five weeks.
0: Okay, let's let's talk about doing what you have to do and the development of board evaluations. How's it changed, Mike?
5: Well, board evaluations have been here for a little while, and I think they're they're taking taking their course. They're being uh, actively managed and used by boards. I think the question really is coming through now is whether the shareholders see what the results of these board evaluations are, how open are boards about this and how open are boards about what they're doing about the findings of those board evaluations. I mean through several and they, they are very useful both for the individual director and for the collective of the board. And if they're honestly made and they're honestly reviewed, then you can get a lot of value out of them. The Mm -hmm. reverse would also be true.
0: Uh, Hugo, what impact will the speed of change that we have now have on tenures and succession?
4: Not sure about tenures, but I think it's, um, I guess, speed of change implies um, changing demands for for non-executives. So it's more a change of profiles. And again, coming back to a point I made in the beginning of sort of competencies that boards will need to be successful and efficient in sort of a um, a changing environment.
0: A question for you all now. Um, How First of you to Eamon, um, how do you make sure boards ask the right kind of questions in a fast-moving environment?
3: Well, I mean, I think that you say in a fast-moving environment, I think that it depends to some extent on where you are in the cycle. I think at the top of the mind, you've got to be satisfied about the financing of the business. All the great corporate governance changes have come about because companies have gone bust. And you've got to make sure your board doesn't supervise uh, a drowning ship. You've got to be all over the going concern and the shifts in the market.
5: But can I just say one thing? The the,
3: the rise
5: and the speed of change with the introduction of technology in the marketplaces that all businesses operate today is extremely rapid and unprecedented in my view. And I'll just give you one example of that. Cybersecurity. Since the introduction of GDPR and the famous uh, Wanna Cries and other things that have happened there, boards are looking at this more than they've ever looked at it before. But unfortunately, you're realistically only as good as the last problem you solved, because nobody really seriously knows what the next thing is going to come about but you could destroy your business or your business could be destroyed by somebody else through malicious means in in the re, in the region of cybersecurity so that's one example where rapid change in technology is driving different agenda items on the board and i would say today that compared to 3 4 years ago
4: we spend far more time on that particular subject than we ever did before
0: mm, hugo
4: Touching on that point, I think um, uh, the need for a digital native on your board, for example, is, is therefore very useful. And I'm not sure whether boards have actually fully adapted to that. But I think that comes to more to a broader point. is about diversity, right? Mm. In order to ask the right questions, I think it's important to have a diverse group of people that yeah, sort w- of complement each other.
5: I would agree with that. We do actually have on the board I'm referring to, we do actually have somebody who's conversed with all these digital yeah. matters. yeah. And he does know how to write, ask the right questions, yeah. which helps. I enormously. think
0: we'll be talking a lot more about digital matters in the future. For the moment, Hugo, Eamon, thank you very much for joining us. Mike, stay with us, please, because we'll chat again with you later in the podcast. Will do. Board Matters. This is Board Matters and I'm Kate Chabot. Next, let's join our reporter Rick Kelsey, who's with Matthew Lester, non-executive director at Capita and Man Group and non-executive board member at Barclays. And they've been listening to the conversation so far. Rick?
1: Yes, Kate, I'm here with Matthew by City Hall on the South Bank of the Thames. Matthew, as a non-executive director, what's your reaction to what you've heard on the podcast so far? I think there's some really interesting ideas in there, but there's a theme that I've spoken about before, which is the
6: degree to which non-execs really understand the business of the boards they're sitting on. And I think that's one of the key issues we've got to debate.
1: When it comes to advice uh, that you can share with with non-executive directors listening now about staying up to date and prioritising best development plans, what would you say? I'm sorry to sound a bit like a broken
6: record here, but the key thing I'd say is the most important development you've got to undertake as a non-executive is to stay up-to-date with the business of which you're sitting on the board on. You know, you can spend a lot of time sitting in theoretical education programmes. That doesn't make up for the fact that you've got to understand what's that business and what the issues are that it's facing. They change over time. There are a lot of comments in your um,
1: podcast about the speed of
6: change. That requires us to stay more up-to-date and more
1: engaged. Is that also, do you think, what prevents non-exec directors having an impact on business?
6: I think that's exactly right. I think they are fearful of the fact they're ignorant and as a result they're too dependent upon the management for forming their own judgments.
1: In your experience, are boards now becoming more transparent, more accountable? I don't know. I mean, I think we're tending to use 19,
6: sorry, 20th century technology for a 21st century problem. We should be looking at private equity and how they ask their board members to uh, perform. I think that's the model we should be forming.
1: Is that the number one thing that you think we should be pushing to achieve that? Yeah, exactly. Smaller, more in, uh, engaged boards. I think the issue is... Uh, we have too
6: much reporting and not enough information that's in there. So if you take your average uh, report and accounts now, that takes up over 150 pages. Is that really what the board needs to do to tell the shareholders what they're doing? I think we need to think fundamentally
1: rethink how we communicate with our shareholders, what their boards do. Matthew, that's lovely stuff. Back to you, Kate, in the studio.
0: Rick, thanks very much. Coming up in our last few minutes, we'll look at what it takes to succeed in the role of an audit committee chair. That's next. Now, recently, Egan Zender and ACCIF published a report called How to Become an Audit Committee Chair and Succeed. Mike McKinn, board member from ACCIF, is still with us. And we're also joined by Neshe Guna. She leads Chief Financial Officer Practice within UK Financial Services for Egan Zender. Hi, Kate. Neshe, how has the role of the Audit Committee Chair changed
7: over the last decade? Well, Kate, I think uh, the principal areas that are overseen by audit committees, such as the annual report and other period, Reports, the internal and external audit process have been the same for many years, I think. But um, uh, in recently, in the last couple of years, I think the obligations placed on audit committees have increased significantly because of the changes in the UK Corporate Governance Code, which means um, I think the expectations from the audit committees and the audit committee chairs as a result have increased from shareholders, from regulators, from all the external stakeholders. Um, and also the, the, the responsibilities are defined more clearly Um, and there's a significantly higher expectation from the chairs of audit committees I would argue. So Mike does that mean if you're an audit committee chair you've got to be better?
5: No, I don't think you've necessarily got to be better. I think they've always been a, of a high standard. But I think what you've got to be is more aware of the broader spectrum of what you're expected to be responsible for these days. The challenges of the audit community have grown. That doesn't mean to say you've got to be better. You've just got to be basically abreast of all the issues that are there.
0: So Neshe, just tell me a bit more a kind, of the kind of characteristics oh. that are needed to be successful in this post.
7: Well, I think, I mean, of course, the technical and the financial skills, the, the fact that uh, um, you're relevant and up to date are a must have, but are not enough. Actually, uh, softer skills, such especially the collaboration and influencing skills, are hugely important for audit committee chairs. Um, uh, f- furthermore, I think the curiosity for the business, the ability to understand and question uh, the different individuals within the business uh, is extremely important. Uh, as an audit committee chair, as uh, one of our interviewees actually highlighted, you are the customer of the fair and the true so the ability to actually stand up to your principles the ability to question in a constructive manner is an extremely important feature for audit committee chairs
0: you've had experience you are one mike uh, tell us from your experience what the future holds and how the jobs changed
5: Well, I don't sure entirely what the future holds, but the job has certainly changed insofar as they're now looking increasingly at the broader aspects of strategic risk in the business. You're looking at uh, layers below the executive layers in business. You're understanding how the business ticks and you have to get out and about uh, because you can't do all of that from sitting around the boardroom table. So there's an expectation and indeed a requirement on audit committee chairs these days to get out and understand the business and meet the management of the business. So I expect that to continue. I expect the challenges of the Audit Committee to rise, and I think I said at some other point that the the changes in business uh, activity are changing more rapidly these days, and that's a challenge that we have to face.
0: And Nesha, from the report, were there any surprises, or did, did it really confirm what you already thought?
7: Well, to be honest, there weren't that many surprises, but what we found actually quite interesting as we did our interviews and the, the analysis, while there wasn't anything that was groundbreaking or uh, anything majorly surprising, the emphasis on certain things was actually quite different from the different individuals. So so the chairman, uh, the emphasis that the chairman placed on the audit committee chair sometimes differed actually what the CFO expected from the audit committee chair. Yeah,
5: I think what we found was if you talk to board chairman, uh, they're looking for a director first, a non-executive director first. And yes, we'd like Mm. you to chair the audit committee. And for that, you need to have the skills and the financial skills and experience to do that.
0: Good to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Now, if you'd like to find out more, the report, How to Become an Audit Committee Chair and Then Succeed, is available to see on Podbeam. Also, you can email neds at uk.ey.com if you have a question or would like more information about UKCBM. That's neds at uk.ey.com. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us and sharing the benefit of their expertise. On our next podcast, the subject will be culture and digital disruption. So until then, from me, Kate Chabot, and everyone here, it's goodbye. Board Matters. Back soon.